0: And for this man, it really was good news. And you see him jump up and follow Peter and John around. It says that he was holding on to them. Like he, he just couldn't get enough of this good news that he just continued to follow them. As you would imagine, uh, after Peter and John heal this man in the name of Jesus, I forgot to say that, sorry. They, they heal this man and he's now up and he's jumping around. Um, you would imagine a, a large crowd of people gather, right? Uh, now they have stepped inside of uh, of the first portion, kind of like the lobby, uh, the narthex of the, uh, of, the, <laughs> of, the, um, of the temple. And as they step in, this crowd begins to form. So you know that the people who are in there are, are Jewish, um, and we'll find uh, soon here who specifically those people are. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 11 to 15 first. So while uh, the beggar held on to Peter and John, All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power, our godliness, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. It was you that disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. It was you that killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. So Peter and John are just, you know, just having a chill conversation with these people, right? Whoa, like he's, uh, he is coming at them and he is addressing their power. And so today we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, one thing that we'll notice is that as this crowd gathers, the crowd is made up of the majority, which oftentimes a crowd uh, represents the majority. Um, and certainly here in America, we have crowds that represent the majority of people. In America, statistically, the, the crowd, um, the majority in America is 72% white, 66% middle class, 47% have some type of uh, higher education degree, Uh, that's me. (laughs) That's me. I am the crowd. I am uh, in a position of power. I am a power broker. I have been gifted and given, whether I want it or not, whether I recognize it or not, whether or not I tell anyone else or just use it on my own, uh, I have been given power that many of my neighbors in Baltimore City, Baltimore City does not look like the majority, Baltimore City is somewhere around 67% African-American, and it's actually... 67 percent black so our neighbors are not from africa in the last five or six generations most of our neighbors actually ended up in baltimore after the great uh, migration so after slavery was ended uh, many of my neighbors families rooted themselves in baltimore Um, and so all of that plays into things but here i am as a power broker um, with this power and we're going to see or what i have seen as god has revealed this to me that Peter's talking to me, and maybe uh, as I look around the room, uh, God is talking to you as well um, through this passage. It's interesting when you look uh, at how the crowd will react to Peter and John bringing the good news of Jesus, when they're confronted with the truth of Jesus, how they will act. And I believe that as a majority power holder, power broker in America um, that I needed to be confronted with this and I appreciate um, God for doing that although it is hard (laughs) and if today is the first time you're being confronted with it um, I would love to pray with you afterwards Um, William Willimon is one of my favorite um, recent theologians I've been reading he says that when confronted by God's Messiah humanity got together and did what it often does in the face of truth violence and crucifixion This is what the crowd does. The crowd gathers itself and exercises its power without the good news of Jesus, without his power influencing the power that is within the crowd. Every crowd wields power. And without the kingdom, without Jesus, that power will find a way to violence. William Willemont, he goes on, he says, um, Fortunately, God has responded to humanity's action with action of his own the resurrection. There is good news. (laughs) Um, I I love that that God gives us this alternative through Jesus. Willie James Jennings is another one of my favorite guys. He says, um, we need not be mystified by the crowd or frustrated by their failures to act for the common good. The crowd, except without the power of Jesus, the crowd will naturally not act on behalf of the common good. Uh, Jesus has acted for them though he has acted for the crowd he has acted for me a white upper middle class male in America he has acted for me and so hear that today as good news as he challenges you know that Jesus has acted for you and he offers his body as a way out and as a way together and that's what this sermon is going to be on about how he gives us a way out of the crowd of the violence of the crowd and he gives us a way forward as a community together. Outside of the kingdom of God, power always finds its way to violence, but Jesus gives us another way. In Acts chapter three, we're gonna pick up in verse um, 16 there. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you all can seek. Peter could not be more explicit. He is not taking the credit He is not saying that he is the power broker. Uh, He is saying, look, this power comes from Jesus. So see that, my friends. Recognize that that's where um, it comes from. Uh, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders when you crucified Jesus. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ, the Messiah, would suffer. So repent, turn away from your evil ways. Then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. That's a really important line there. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many uh, as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God that he made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each other, Uh, each of you from your wicked ways. Jesus is good news for the majority who hold the power. Peter here is speaking to these men of Israel as one of them. Peter knows that he now, um, through Christ, has power. He recognizes that he is in a position of leadership in the Christian community, that people are following him, that people are trying to worship him. He recognizes all of that. And he gets it out there. He talks about it, which is a good first step for all of us. You see, the the Jewish men in this uh, specific group were very elitist. Um, the the Jews had a way in the Old Testament, as you read it, of being elitist, of, of saying like, like, we are the people of God and setting themselves apart. And oftentimes God is coming in and like refining that out of them and saying, okay, yeah, like, but it's not about you, it's about me. Um, and so, Peter is again coming in to speak into that, but from now on, nobody saved by birthright, whether you were born a Jew or not, um, that's not how you get saved anymore, and so too it is with those in positions of power. If you have power, it doesn't mean that you get God's power, so for someone like me who's used to getting everything, Um, and that's hard to admit, right? Like I, I, I want to say things like I didn't grow up with a silver spoon. I didn't grow up in, you know, I didn't have any, uh, you know, maids or, you know, uh, a butler or anything like that. You know, I didn't, but I did grow up, uh, with a lot of things and as, um, and in a position of power. And that doesn't mean that because of that power, I receive the good news of Jesus. And that's true of these men. Peter's saying, look, Your power isn't what gets you into heaven. It's Jesus. So actually you need to lay down some of this power. You need to repent of it. You need to step out of it. You need to share some of it um, and turn to Jesus and follow him. That's how you get saved. Good news for those in positions of power, hear me, is not the same good news. Jesus is good news in so many different ways. When we try to create this reductionist gospel that boils it down and says, Jesus is good news because he loves you. That is so true. God's love is so huge, but it's not just love. Jesus is good news for me because he gets inside of me and cuts out like a surgeon, the deep sinfulness in me too, right? That doesn't sound like love, although it is. Um, You know what I'm saying? The good news of Jesus is so vast and expansive. We can't reduce it down to one or two things. And so good news for those in position of power doesn't sound the same as it does for those who have been oppressed, for those who have been neglected. That type of good news is relief, right? If you've been oppressed or neglected, Jesus comes and speaks to you and says, I come with relief here and now. I come giving you power here and now. I come bringing abundance to you here and now. Those are not things that someone like me needs to hear, or at least I don't think I need to hear that, Right? I have an abundance of stuff. I have power because I've been gifted it. I don't need relief because nothing really bad is happening to me. Um, And the same would have been true for these men that he's talking about. Instead, good news for those in positions of power is healing from the hurt that we have caused and that has happened to us. It's this healing um, balm that just, you know, rubs over us and, and changes the way that we see things. And sometimes it's difficult because if you're in a position of power, you just don't see it. You just don't know it. And, and we'll get to it at the end how you can have that revealed to you, like, like who you need to be with to have that revealed. One of my favorite authors is A.J. Swoboda. He has some incredibly powerful things to say. In one of his books, he talks about um, the three different things that Satan gives us that Jesus has already given us. Satan tries to trick us and manipulate us, right? And he he tries to fool us into believing that what he has to offer is better than what Jesus has to offer. And really, he's offering the same thing, just in a much smaller way, right? Jesus comes in a more long-lasting and incredible way. One of the things that Satan offers us that Jesus has already given us is relevance. Relevance. Why do you matter? I, I have been conditioned to believe that I matter because of my power. Let me tell you about my community. I live in Baltimore City. If you don't know this, Baltimore City uh, has regularly over the last five years been either number one or number two in terms of violence in America. Um, we have the most violent crimes per capita. We have the most murders um, in per capita. In, let me give you a little bit of help with the scope. So last year in Baltimore, there were 352 murders. Our population is 600,000 people. Last year in New York City, there were 242 murders. And I think their population is somewhere around 4 million. Okay? That's the difference in my city. It is astounding how violence affects everyone. Um, but there are portions of our city, the portion that I live in, the neighborhood I live in, uh, where it is white and where it is protected and where it is quiet. <laughs> but the neighborhoods that we spend a lot of time in, because there are people I love who are my neighbors, when Jesus talks in Luke chapter 11 about going, love your neighbor, um, those people are not experiencing the same life. Um, and as a result of living in those places and being neighbors, uh, my family has has got to see and hear a, a lot of violence and a lot of really, um, yeah, just really crazy things. And so in those situations, being around people who are oppressed and neglected, oftentimes our country and our, our world has socialized my neighbors to believe that they should come to me as a white male upper middle class in America and find solutions from me. And that adds to the problem, right? Like that that adds to me believing that I have this power. And it, it makes me believe that I am relevant because of that power, because I have connections, because I got certain jobs, because I live in the neighborhood I get to live in and my kids get to go to this school and the police respond quicker to my home. And when I get pulled over, I, the odds of me being harmed are much less, uh, like all of those things uh, I need to be reminded of. But I believe that uh, I have been conditioned to believe uh, as a white male that I am relevant because of the power that I have. Here's the problem with that. Here's what Satan is doing in the midst of that. He's taking our abundance brain that God has given us and he's making us think in terms of scarcity He's making us believe that there's only so much power. There's only so much. And I've got to fight for it. And I've got to cling to it. And I've got to hold it really tough. And this is the position that we find ourselves in, ready to fight people backed into a corner. And that is not the way the kingdom of God looks. The scarcity mindset fools us into believing that there's not enough power, so we have to hold on to it. This is where, guys, we're going to address a lot of things today. I hope you guys had your coffee and your... Comfortable. Take some notes. Got little, some awkward looks. This is good. All right, um, this this whole idea of the scarcity mindset. This is where patriarchy comes from. Okay, this is why it's still a problem in our country because patriarchy is this belief that there's only so much power, and since I as a male have that power. I don't want to share any of it. I would really like to hold on to it because it makes my life a whole lot easier and a whole lot safer and a whole lot smoother and I've got less problems as a result of it. And the idea of sharing some of that is really scary. Um, But it's also um, the way that God has asked us to live, to share that power. Peter shifts the attention to Jesus, though. He says, look, your relevance doesn't come from that power. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has been completely healed, as you all can see. He was not healed by by Peter and John's resources. He was not healed by their connections to the powerful. He was not healed by any of those things. He was healed in the name of Jesus. It is his power that is available to every person. It was not through Peter and John's sheer willpower or effort. They didn't work themselves into providing this power for this man. It came all through Jesus. This is the abundance mindset that is the kingdom of God. And I believe that abundance is the antidote to relevance. When Satan tries to trick you into believing that you are only relevant because of your power, be reminded that the kingdom of God has an abundance of power. It never, ever ends. It is overflowing. It is unimaginably more than we could imagine. And there's more than enough for you and me and every person around you. And so we no longer need to cling to it. It's just flowing out there. But just like uh, our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters in the Old Testament we like to hoard power, right? When the um, Israelites were saved from Egypt and they found their way out into the desert, God said, I will provide food for you every day. Don't worry, I got you. And what did they do? They hoarded it. <laughs> he said, no, 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 really, don't worry. I'm going to provide it. And they hoarded it, right? They, they held, and, and we want to do that because we don't trust that God will provide This power, the power of this miracle that happened here, it was a gift from God. It was from his power. Power from God is not something we can conjure on our own. This Holy Spirit power is not something we can control. It's not something we can manipulate. It's not something uh, that we can control. It's more powerful than us and it will change lives forever. And it's so much better than the power that I've been given as a a, a white American male. I gotta tell you that. It, It changes my life too. Jesus's power is what healed. But we like to believe that we're the ones who change lives. And this is what leads to the second thing that Satan promises us that Jesus has already given you, and that is popularity. Popularity. Who do you matter to? This is the idea that me as a white male American in Baltimore City specifically, all eyes are on me. And I got to tell you guys, that, that messes with me in so many ways. I walk down the street in some neighborhoods and people look at me, and I know some of the looks are saying, Why don't you fix our problems? And I know sometimes some of my other neighbors are thinking that. Like, it is such a difficult thing, but it is all Satan trying to fool me into believing that I need popularity, that it's important to me. When you live on top, you become socialized to believe that you're the solution. And in my city, that's that's what I'm taught. That's what I'm told by the news, uh, by other people who go to our kids' schools, by people in every neighborhood. Like that's one of the things that we're socialized to believe. This is called the savior complex, right? You can see the problem in this, right? I am not the savior, um, but the idea is that me coming in, that I have this ability to change and shift things, that I can change Baltimore overnight and I watch people come in all the time trying to change Baltimore and, and heal Baltimore and fix Baltimore. And it's like, that's not your job. Like, and you're not going to be capable of doing it. But, but that popularity, you know, when you go and you go into a neighborhood that's neglected, that's what we call our, our neighborhoods. When you go into a neglected neighborhood um, and you do something good and you put it on Facebook, you get a lot of notoriety, I get a lot of notoriety from around the country. Like people that I know all over the place are like, this is really fantastic. You are awesome, right? How does that make you feel? Like it's, oh, I am pretty awesome. You're right, right? And the savior complex, right? It just boils up inside of us. And Peter comes at him in verse 17. He says, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. Whoa, like ignorance? What are you saying to me, Peter? Do you know who I am? I am the leader of God's people here on earth. I think you got this wrong, buddy, you uneducated fisherman. Like, no, 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 you don't understand this, right? He called them ignorant? Like, it just, but that is so important for someone like me to hear. Ignorance is an absence of knowledge. It's, it's what I don't know that I don't know. And I need people in my life to help me see that. And that's what Peter here is doing. Jesus through Peter is giving them new eyes to see. And we have to do that too. We have to open our eyes. So what is the antidote to popularity? It's mutuality. Mutuality is this idea. Friends, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. A little pop quiz here. You, you got to speak back to me, okay? What comes first in the Bible? Genesis 1 or Genesis 3? Go ahead. Genesis 1, that's right. Now let me tell you what's in Genesis 1. It says that... We created them. This is God talking. We, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created them. In our own image, we created them. This is called the Imago Dei. This means that you and you and you and you and the guy on the street corner who had a rough night and is sleeping under a tent, right? And the guy who's downtown in the White House, all of them were made in the image of God. Every single one of them. And you know what happened in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve sinned. They screwed it all up. And I am so sorry, and I want to pray with you afterwards, seriously. If you were brought up believing that the core truth of the Bible is that you are a sinner. Because that is not what came first. Genesis 1 came first. I get choked up about this because this affected me so much. Listen, you were created in the image of God, and he loves you so much. That's who you are. That is your core identity. And then... You screwed that up by sinning, right? That's true. Sin is there. It's true, but it's not the core truth. And we need to be reminded of that. And this is what mutuality does. When I walk the streets with my neighbors, when I sit with people who are struggling with addiction, when I uh, eat meals with people who haven't eaten in three days, when I hold little babies who haven't had a diaper on in a month, I'm reminded that God created that person in his image. And he also created me in his image. So even in my position of power, with all that I have, God created me in his image. And it's so important for us to be reminded of that. And that mutuality, listen, at our church, we do crazy stuff. We sit down and have these things called dinner with neighbors, where I literally invite everyone. I handed out a thousand cards in three months. I do this all the time. I print out tons of these little business cards and say, come to my house for dinner. I've had other pastors and people say, you are crazy. Like you shouldn't be handing drug dealers, uh, you know, in Baltimore a card to come eat at your house. But God continues to keep us safe. And um, anyways, like it, it is amazing to watch people from these different experiences in life sit next to each other and realize around a dinner table that they were created in the image of God. On Friday night, there were 35 people in my house, and one of the families um, is typical of the east side of York Road in my community, so about 60% of our population in, of the 30,000 in our neighborhoods. Um, and this family is deeply rooted in our church and been uh, apart for a while. I got to baptize two of their kids. Um, an African-American family, um, and they live below the poverty line, um, so they make about $25,000 a year. They are a family of seven. Um, and struggle in a lot of ways. And sitting across the table from them is a white man who's a dear friend of mine, has been a part of our church for a long time. Uh, He is uh, one of the vice presidents at M&T Bank. Um, Also has a lot of kids. Um, And they're sitting across the dinner table from each other. And I just like, I walk around so excited and then crying afterwards because it's like only God could do this. But it's because of mutuality. We have to be reminded, and that's why Jesus used the table over and over and over again to help us be reminded that you gotta eat and I gotta eat. And no matter how much you have or how little you have, we were all created in the image of God. Mutuality is the antidote to popularity. I gotta speed it up. I'm getting excited here. Sorry, guys. All right. Um, the third thing is this. Satan offers us power. <laughs> what we've been talking about all, all morning Satan says, "This is how you continue to matter. You hold on to that power for dear life, and you do not share it with anyone, and you don 't let anyone have it. You know what Power tricks us into believing that we can control our circumstances, right? If I only oh I, all the time I'm talking to neighbors of every socioeconomic um, in our city, and all the time I'm talking to our neighbors, and all everyone is saying, if I just had a little bit more, a little bit more, I could have." retirement. If I just had a little bit more, I could have a car that doesn't break down every month. If I just had a little bit more, I'd have better health insurance and I could get this surgery, Like everything. It's like some of that is very real and visceral. I'm not trying to minimize those. Those are big things, but um, that's what power does. We come to believe that if we have a little bit more power, we can continue to matter and everything, we'll have control over our circumstances. And from a position of power, I have been lulled into, and maybe you have too, into believing that it was by my own power that I achieved all of this. I'm not going to get into politics here. Don't worry. Um, ergo, that since by my own power, I achieved all of this and got all of this, and it's all about me. Therefore, uh, what that's saying to me is that I can do all things through me, (laughs) but that's not what Philippians says. (laughs) Philippians says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's through his power that we are capable of doing all things, but I am convinced that my power and me, that I'm able to to be the one uh, who can control my circumstances. Peter comes right at him in verse 23. He says, anyone who does not listen to God will be completely cut off from their own people. This is what power will do to you. It will isolate you. There are friends, I, I know some, it is wild that the people that God has brought to our church, I don't understand it. In the last month um, in Baltimore, it's very important that the pastor tells um, the congregation, who to vote for, and this April there's big elections happening in Baltimore. We're going to get another mayor. Um, our city council will turn over. City council president, and somehow in the two and a half years that we have lived there, God has connected me with all of these people, people running for mayor, people running for city council, city council president, different districts, state senators, like all. It is the strangest thing. I don't know how God did all of it, or I'm not really sure why either. But. Um, all of these folks come to pastors and they want to sit down with you so they can get you to say from the pulpit that you're voting for them. And I I love these conversations. This is just a nuance. I love these conversations because I get to say to them, hey, have you ever heard of the IRS? They will take our 501c3 and that's my livelihood. So nope, not going to happen. But I do get an opportunity though. Many of them are dear friends of mine and they actually ask me if I would essentially be their pastor, if I would shepherd them through the process of Baltimore politics. And if you watch the news ever, you know that our pol- political system does not have a whole lot of good things going for it in the last 30 years. Um, but uh, it is amazing to me to see how many people in positions of power are isolated. They are cut off from their community. And that's what Peter saying. You'll be completely cut off from your people. You will be isolated. And I, like, to me, that has just been raking around in my mind over the last month as I watch people begin to run for office and become more and more isolated and fall deeper and deeper down into the rabbit hole. And I love that God has positioned our church to somehow be this influence influence of Christ's name um, in those positions because I don't want those people to be cut off from... Um, from others, from community. If we keep seeking power, we'll cut ourselves off. This is um, the problem of individualism. Um, individualism is what Satan wants. And and I remember what it's like to live here. I lived, what, a mile away from here, up at 29 and uh, 495. I, I lived up there for a few years. And I remember what it's like to live in this space, right? The individualism of Montgomery County in D.C., is rampant. <laughs> like, you, you are socialized to believe all of this. Like, this sermon was, thank you, God, was, was made for um, folks living here in this community, um, as much as it was for me living in my community. Uh, Satan wants to isolate you and make you an individual, and Jesus comes in and says, nope, that's not what this is all about. I have so much more for you. We begin to think that standing up on our own two feet, becoming completely self-sufficient, is the end-all to be-all. Jesus, comes in and shows us that arriving at the position of power, which is essentially control over our circumstances, right? It's actually more detrimental to our health. It's actually worse for you to have more power. You get that? Your brothers and sisters, I'm speaking about your neighbors who are uh, um, oppressed and neglected. You have so much to learn from these people, from these neighbors. Like you have so much and they have so much to give. Um, So, it's so important uh, because so many of our brothers and sisters coming from those experiences are not living individualistic lives. They live in rich community, and it's something we should uh, seek after. God wants us, God wants to give us power. Hear this. Uh, Like I said earlier, Satan fools us into believing he's giving us something that Jesus already gave us. God is going to give you power. Remember, this story started with Peter and John healing a man who had been crippled for 40-some years. Like, that is amazing. God wants to give you power, but he does not want to give you control. I'm going to say that again. God wants to give you power, but he does not want to give you control. A.J. Swoboda says, to the degree which we can contr- to the degree which we want control, God will withhold power. To the g- degree which we want control, God will withhold power. We don't get the control the control is God's to wield. So you want to know what the antidote is to power? It's community. What Carrie was talking about during communion, it is community. It is being with other people. And it's what the, this whole book is about, but specifically the book of Acts is about community, the messy, crazy, beautiful world of community. All right. It's difficult for people in positions of power to receive this gospel for these reasons. I had a wonderful conversation at dinner with neighbors the other night um, with some of our neighbors who are, um, one was Jewish and one was uh, Filipino and we were talking about, um, talking about this. So this is why it's hard for people in positions of power to receive the good news. Number one, it's shocking and uncomfortable that God's power is beyond our control right? I've been taught as an educated person in America that I can control my circumstances, that I can control the power that I wield, that I can somehow control it. I maybe don't know how to, but someone can teach me and I can control it. And God comes in and says, my power is beyond your control, so don't even try it. You got to give the control back to God. That's scary to someone who has wielded power. It's also really frustrating. We can't understand why God we can't understand God and his power. See, as a white male, I've been conditioned by enlightenment, by Greek understanding that my ability to master things, this cerebral mental ascent type lifestyle, right, that that is power. But understanding God's power is not an easy task. Let me know when you understand it. I would like to understand it myself. Um, It is, uh, and that's, that can be scary. Also, it's scary that God, this is, this one cracks me up when I I say this. It's scary that God would share his power with anyone, right? I mean, maybe that's not funny to you because it's very real and you're like, ooh, you know, like, it's scary that God would share power with anyone. That means the guy on the corner with a needle in his arm. God wants his power to flow through that guy, right? Let's take it the other direction. The guy in the White House. God wants his power to flow through that guy. That's what he wants. Genesis 1 before Genesis 3, God, they were created in God's own image. And that is terrifying to us. So we want to be like these Jewish leaders and say, no thanks. We'll just hold on to all this power and, uh, you know, persecute you, Peter, and eventually kill you. So um, we have to look to someone else in our community to help us. Okay, this is also really important. Um, a year ago, I wrote in my journal. Aaron and Carrie taught me to keep journals, and so I've got piles of them all over my, they're all over the place, okay? Um, and uh, in one of these journals uh, a year ago, I, I drew this picture of, of two cups, and one was empty and one was full. Um, and God revealed to me in my prayer time that um, people who are experiencing chaos in their life right? For me, my neglected and oppressed brothers and sisters, my um, those neighbors of mine, um, they come to Jesus knowing that their glass is empty. There, there's such self-awareness that I've got nothing, and I need a whole lot of Jesus's power. Bring it to me. I, I need your power, Jesus. Give me more and more of it. But for someone like me, who comes from a position of power, most folks like me come to Jesus thinking I'm already full. I've already got this other cup over here that's already full. Like what, what do I need Jesus for, right? And maybe you're struggling with that or maybe a coworker or a neighbor of yours you know is struggling with this concept that they don't need Jesus because they already have enough. They already have all of the things figured out. And that's why it's so important that we have to do the hard work of emptying ourselves. So if you are a person who is from an oppressed or neglected background, please have mercy on me. Please pray for me. I need for folks to be coming to me and saying, hey, we got to empty that cup. You got to be reminded that all that power you've stuffed into that cup is the wrong kind of power. We got to pull that out of there. Then let's put some Jesus power in there. I, I need that. And maybe you need that too. Um, Jesus is good news for those in positions of power. Jesus is coming as our Savior to rescue us from our suffering, not just our life, but the sin. It, it's not just good news those, for those who are op- oppressed and neglected. It, for Sometimes we look at the oppressed and neglected and we say, well, it's really easy to understand how they would need a Savior, right? Like, everything's wrong, right? For the the. the People that we see who are experiencing tough times in life, like they need saving. But the truth is, you need it too. <laughs> and, and the trouble is that you got a lot more work to get there because that guy on the corner may recognize that he already needs saving, but you probably don't. And so I'll be praying for you that God un, uh, lifts the veil for you so that you begin to see how much you need Jesus and how much you need to be purged of the power that you have. Because those in majority with power uh, often don't know it. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, called me blind. (laughs) I just just don't know this power that I have. Um, And he comes in and uh, reminds me. So, um, all right. I'll finish up, I promise. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I got all excited here. I I, I hope this is all from the Lord and it's good news to you. Jesus comes in um, and he says he wants to offer us abundance. He wants to offer us mutuality. He wants to offer us community. And let me just close with this. This church is still good news to me. The community here is still good news to me. Coming in here and seeing you guys is like such good news to me. Um, and I hope that if you're not connected here, you get connected. Guys, what do they call Neighborhood groups? Is that what you call them? Come to those. Come to the neighborhood collectives. You need to be a part of that. You need that good news. And as much as you think you don't need it, you need it even more. So please come. Please be connected. Be a part of this church. And really deeply allow Jesus to do that work in your heart. And be reminded that you too are created in the image of God. Let's pray.